Welcome to Angel Impact, the official podcast of the Wisconsin River Business Angels. Episode 16, What Leon Learned in Japan. Hi, uh, my name is Aaron Marks, and uh, I'm here with uh, this next episode of Angel Impact. Angel Impact is the the, the official podcast of the Wisconsin River Business Angels and the Wisconsin River Business Angels is Central Wisconsin's only angel investment group. And usually I'm here with uh, the leadership team of the Wisconsin River Business Angels, which is Jeff Ebel and Leon Ostrowski. But um, today I'm just here with Leon, who's the chair. How are you today, Leon? I'm doing just fine. Just Good. fine. Thanks, Aaron. And uh, the reason uh, the reason it's just Leon is because we're we're going to talk about his specific story and uh, what that journey has given to him and uh, what he brings uh, to the Wisconsin River Business Angels. So, uh, you've had actually a very interesting uh, career, Leon. Uh, how many countries have you worked in? I've worked in uh, extended time periods in Japan and in Europe, Brussels, Belgium th for three years. And we lived in that environment in Japan, probably about a little over half year. Okay, so, so that's Belgium and Japan, and then I guess the United States, right? Correct, most of my career is in the United States. Okay. But also traveled the world for the company and involving yeah. and installing new business management systems, specifically marketing systems around the globe for the company. So right. those would be shorter stays anywhere from one to two to three weeks. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's so extended time in the United States, Belgium and Japan, but, but shorter stints uh, in, I mean, do you even have an estimate uh, as to how many countries you've done that in? Well, let's put it this way. Yeah. In the working condition, I've been to most parts of the world where the company has manufacturing and sales facilities, yeah. and that would be in the 20s to 30s. Yeah. But then in addition, when uh, we were younger, my wife and I took a lot of cruises in different parts of the world where we mm -hmm. would get on a cruise ship and spend anywhere from one week to six weeks on a cruise ship with extended stays and participating in a lot of these countries and yeah. differences among different people around the world. So, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so Leon has, um, you know, just all this experience uh, working around the world and um, yeah, starting new, new divisions and, you know, figuring out how to market products in basically uh, different cultures. And I always love hearing Leon tell stories about this uh, uh, for, for the insights uh, that it's shown him. And I think one of the most interesting stories or like the most interesting stories come from your time in Japan. Um, although, you know, the story is going to be similar for all these places. Cause basically, like you said, you learned to basically value like they value, um, you know, both in terms of, of cultures and emotions and then translating that into, um, into monetary value. Is that, is that about right? That's true. And what's interesting in Japan, we have a silicone caulk that we sell in the United States for bathtub caulks and windows. And it's that rubbery material that seals the tub from the wall so yeah. you don't get leakage back there. Right. And that product is a pretty standard product. It's used very successfully in the U.S. It's very successfully in Europe. But when we went to apply it in Japan, in Europe, or pardon me, in Asia, the product did not sell at all. And we were trying to understand why. Mm -hmm. And it came back to culture was the reason why it did not sell there. 
And if you use that product in the United States and put it on, it's got an acetic acid odor to people here. And it behaved very similar in Europe. That was a clean odor. That's put into water for your cleaning solutions. And, and you, you feel something is clean when you have that smell. And that's vinegar. We know that as vinegar, right? Yes. And then you get that same smell in Japan and they says, oh, that's terrible. Well, what do you mean? It smells like dead fish. Mm. And they would not use it because of that smell. Right. So there's a case where your product just would not sell and you had to change something. And what we changed was the curing system. So there was no odor released mm -hmm. and the product took off and it was performing the same function of sealing. Yeah. Well, what I, what I discovered there and what I also discovered in uh, us, when we have a new concept, we want to sell a new business. Don't expect the marketplace to understand your product by talking about it one time or putting one piece of literature out there. What I found in the United States, which is my home culture, my home language, people understand one another a lot quicker. So what I found is I had to talk about something three different times in order for people to understand it. The first time was just getting a concept across. What is it? And a lot of the details go over the individual's head and they don't really grasp it. The second one is to then apply that concept with a specific example. You got to see this product or this service in the same way where uh, it's relating to, uh, to some world example out there that it relates to somebody with that need. And so that sort of says, aha, now I can start seeing how this applies to, to that customer, but they still don't see how it applies to themselves. And that's the third exposure to this concept. They've got to apply this and they got to have your help in their circumstances and their environment. And that's with the common language. And when I went to, uh, so three times to get this concept understood just on the front end. So then you go to uh, Europe what I found is most of the people there spoke very good English, especially in the multinational companies. And again, multinationals were importing a lot of product from the United States. So they had training in English language skills. So in, uh, in the foreign countries, like in Europe, I found that in addition to those three exposures, you'd have to have a, a fourth exposure and that's getting it clearly delineated in their language because words don't have the same meaning in each culture. So you're going through a translation element here from a German to an English because the customer sometimes doesn't understand the English as well as we do, but they understand the German. So somebody has got to make that, uh, that word translation there. And uh, so that's certainly a, a, a dimension of that. Uh -huh. And then when you get to places like Asia, I found the, the language skills were much less and you had to do it five times to mm. explain the concept. And that is because the words didn't translate as well into English like they did in Europe. Mm. Uh, in Europe, for example, in uh, Belgium or in uh, Flemish countries, the Netherlands, if that word didn't exist in Dutch, they just use the English word, you know, oh, and okay. all of a sudden you hear a word and say, oh, I understand that one. <laughs> it's an English word because their language doesn't translate that word into anything else but this English component. So that okay. becomes a part of the language. When you get to Asia, the problem was that the language didn't have even the same meaning. It had a word that uh, didn't even translate from English to their language. And that was the reason for the fifth time. And by the mm. time I discovered that, they say, uh, well, 
we used to talk about just simple little things like the manufacturer of this product is such and such. And they'd always come says, yeah, that, that maker is such and such. So they also use the term maker, not manufacturer. Okay. So this took several months of exposure into that culture before you really understand that a lot of words don't translate. So they're not really understanding the meaning of that word. And that's important when it comes to communications of your product, because what may be perceived as a very, very good effective communications package in one country may be a total flop in another country. And that can happen also mm-hmm. in uh, Europe to a lesser degree, but to Asia in a much greater degree. And that's where you need to have some local language expertise. And you can see a lot of this with some of the young kids, with some of the jackets they have, with they're trying to take some of the American uh, <laughs> headlines and so forth. And you put it on their jackets, just terrible English. I've heard know, about this. But yeah. in their mind, <laughs> that is their translation of that same uh, saying in the United States, yeah. it's, 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 it's a good example of, uh, of the problems translation can have and affects your communications and how you have to communicate with these people to get your message across. Even people within the company that know about the product, they still have differences in terminology that we need to understand yeah. and uh, five times before it's starting to <laughs> connect. But yeah. it also has to relate to them and their environment that yeah. they're selling in. Yeah. So, you know, there's a, there's a, basically you're losing things in translation on a couple levels, right? One is uh one is simply a linguistic one, you know, which is that you have to, uh, you have to work harder to make sure your message is being, um, you know, or that your message is coming across clearly uh, to someone who not only speaks another language, but, you know, but really inhabits a different culture. And so it's like, America being, you know, maybe a little closer to European culture, it's like even the words just kind of fit into that language better if you if you don't have a, a word for that. But, you know, but Japanese culture is going to be uh, just different from American culture in more ways and probably more dramatically. And so, uh, you know, the languages are, are just not going to interface uh, nearly as well, uh, which is why you have to work so much harder to communicate is what you're saying. Um, but then also there's these cultural things that, that we don't get, um, you know, which is, you know, things like, oh yeah, vinegar, you know, while I wouldn't, um, you know, necessarily seek out the smell of vinegar, I don't find it offensive, but you're saying in, in Japan, you know, it's actually an offensive smell. And, there's like a, there's a value calculation that comes with that, right? Is, is what you're saying? That's right. You know, it's like uh, a product can fail for reasons that you do not understand. So you need to test this in the eyes and get this information from the customer. Yeah. What does it look like and present itself in the customer's eyes? Because internally, we could talk about these curing materials and they understood that. But when you talk to the customer, they don't understand that and they look at it and have a completely different concept of what that product implies to them. And it's very negative. And that's the emotive side of selling. Every product has an emotive component and that emotive component can work very favorable for you like it did in the United States. That's a clean smell. And that was make the product worth more, but it was very negative emotive when you got it into an Asian market where they says, I don't even want it. It's a very negative emotive. So it can kill the, the sales and value of your product. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as an angel investor and when you're, uh, you know, advising the companies um, that you're investing in or considering for investment, um, how does that help you uh, facilitate that better, would you say? Well, what I found is a lot of people say, wow, this global market is 
five times bigger than the U.S. market. Let's go overseas as quick as we can. So the first thing is, let's start selling this product. And I says, no, you do not want to start selling your product overseas. You want to penetrate the market here in the United States because you've just complicated your life by an order of magnitude when you start taking it outside the United States. Because now you have all kinds of uh, licensing requirements, you have legal requirements, you have to have a ability to sell, communicate in their language, etc. And uh, accounts receivable and payables and all those sort of things, it's all different. So people want to go international too quick, mm -hmm. instead of taking it a country at a time and expand upon it, you'll get there. But then you won't be making the mistakes of losing control over what yeah. you're doing, because what will end up happening is you'll have a, the lowest cost product and your sales price will not be as high as it could be because you aren't adding the value that they want to receive when they use your product. Okay. Are you, do you feel like you're constantly pushing your entrepreneurs to, uh, you know, to look for these emotive, um, uh, you know, characteristics, uh, in the way that their products and services connect with customers? We do. And that's a piece that's usually missing in most people's product offerings. They don't appreciate yeah. the economic, they appreciate the economic basis of value. Yeah. And what that is, it says, all right, if you use my thing, you can cut your costs in half. So, all right, what does that mean to your product? Well, that means you can probably charge more, not double the product value, but maybe somewhere like three quarters, you could go higher. And that would be okay. still a good deal for the customer and right. a good deal for you. So you could get value on that strictly yeah. on this uh, economic basis of value. Now you come back with this emotive thing. If it's a very negative thing on the thing like it did with the uh, cocks, it's worthless. It's zero. You know, so there's right, an emotive right. value that has zero. In the yeah. United States, it didn't really add to the value. It was okay. But yeah. yet, if you get to some other products that a value is very high on an emotive basis, think in terms of perfume. Yeah. Those foreign products coming from uh, France, you know, the, the perfumes, mm -hmm. you know, if they like the smell of the perfume and it's promoted right, that has a very high value. But if you don't like that smell, it's worthless, you know, right. so there's an emotive component of a very high level, but most products have a combination of both emotion sure, yeah. <laughs> and economic basis of value. Right, right. Yeah. Or problem solving, you might say. So mm -hmm. is the way I would say it. Yeah. So, and basically what you're saying is that Japanese example shows that, uh, you know, it's like it, it may, it may be a brilliant solution to the problem, but, you know, but if people hate it, then you know, it's by definition, no longer a brilliant solution to the problem. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then I would, I would, you know, I think you would, you would probably also say that, you know, your planned innovation framework gives you ways to very precisely quantify that value. Right. That is exactly right. Yeah. You can get all that pinned down without spending the money to see if they'll buy. You can do all this work through the, the planned innovation protocol and do this in a matter of weeks for a lot less money than you can for building it and see if they'll come. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, that really, you know, acute understanding of uh, how, you know, any product and service, it's, it's a combination of solving a problem or maybe improving one's life. Um, and then, you know, connecting with the customer emotively um, like often in very subtle um, ways that, that people don't even realize. Right. Right. 
That's right. Yeah, there's a lot more value in this emotion part than people really understand. Yeah. Because if you don't have some of these pieces understood, then everybody wants to sell their price, their product for the same price. But mm-hmm. if you have some particular benefits economically or emotionally, yeah. you can get us a, a superior uh, performance and uh, sales price on right. your product. Take yeah. more money to the bank. Yeah. Greater return. Yeah. I mean, you know, you could quantify this. Let's just take, uh, uh, you know, like Nike, you know, the, the, the athletic shoe company. It's like, what value does Nike have all things being equal with, um, you know, the way they are now. And then what if you took away that logo, you know, that, that really dynamic, uh, you know, the swish they call it. Um, and you just didn't have that logo, you know, which, which has so much emotion with it. Um, you know, the value would most certainly be lower. Um, and, you know, you would say planned innovation could actually help you quantify how, how much value is in that the logo, right? Exactly right. And now you take one additional component on there says, well, what if Michael Jordan were wearing that, right. that product? How much more in addition to the swoosh can you add value to it? Then you start getting into these multi-hundred dollar pairs of shoes because yeah. of that emotive component. Very interesting. Uh, yeah, be, because Michael Jackson, or no, sorry, not Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan. Jordan, <laughs> like, yeah. That'd be a different... Uh, That'd be a different calculation, but Michael Jordan wearing those shoes um, uh, is like, that's, that's a purely emotive uh, uh, form of persuasion, right? Um, Exactly right. The same product is there in uh, for maybe half the price. (laughs) Yeah. Right. That same technology, or they may withhold that technology till after the, uh, the endorsements are completed then they go on to it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's very interesting. Um, So you know, Leon, this is what you what you bring. I've come to see to um, to the Wisconsin River Business Angels, and um, you know, really just your approach to everything uh, is this really precise calculation about things that people don't, or, you know, often consider kind of amorphous and vague. But but it's um, you know, you know, it's it, it strikes me that when we talk about the things that we love, we talk about our values, right? Um, and we, you know, we assume you can't put a number on these things, but, but then in another sense of that word, um, that's exactly what you're doing is you're putting a number on it. You know, when you say the valuation of something, you know, and it strikes me that, that's kind of where you play is where. Yeah, that, that's exactly a spot on there, Aaron. And if you yeah. don't have an understanding of the basis of value of your business, the economic and the emotive components, yeah. you don't have a business because right. you cannot quantify the the, the business to know whether you can make money at it or not. And if you just want to be a me too product, then you're essentially defeating yourself before you ever get started. Yeah. And you can be a me too product. How people typically want to play in that area is low cost. They want to be underpriced versus the competition. And yeah. they make a mistake there because the, the competition has got 10 times, hundred times the volume throughput and they can come right down and match your price and wipe you off the map yeah. is one thing. So if you want to do it on a price basis, you better have technology that allows your cost to be about one-tenth their cost to manufacture uh-huh. that product. Then you yeah. can play the price game, but yeah. that's a very uh, difficult difficult thing to do with a young entrepreneurial company. Yeah, right. Okay. And then the alternative is that you put a value on the By understanding in detail, and it's the detailed yeah. understanding of the unmet need, and yeah. it's the unmet need that is the basis of value. Yeah. Okay. Very good. All right. Well, thank you, Leon. Uh, you bet. Fascinating and insightful conversation uh, with Leon Ostrowski, the chair of the Wisconsin River, River Business Angels at Central Wisconsin's only angel investing group. My name is Aaron Marks, and this has been Angel Impact. I'll see you next time, everyone. Thanks for listening to Angel Impact. 
the official podcast of the Wisconsin River Business Angels. To learn more about the Wisconsin River Business Angels, visit the website at www.midwestwealthventures.com or find us on Facebook. <laughs>